interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. Ooh, it's a big day out there. Uh, you can uh, listen uh, to the Husker baseball on the radio. Uh, I know it's on one of the uh, broadcast house stations here, but I think if you want to listen to uh, KLIN, this station, you're probably going to be listening to the spring game. And uh, so uh, maybe you'll be there with uh, 60,000 of your best friends and see what the Matt Rule era looks like. Uh, but it's uh, we're, spring is, is springing all around us, and I hope that you find a way to get outside, whether it's going to a game or uh, doing some yard work, listening to the Husker baseball, whatever it is. Enjoy the outdoors and enjoy springtime. Uh, neat opportunity this morning to have uh, a guest in studio who uh, I connected with a long time ago in my youth uh, and then have connected with recently again because of a pastoral ministry. And, uh, and so I, it's a pleasure to have in studio uh, Pastor Mark Borkhart. How are you doing, Mark? I am doing wonderful on this Saturday morning. It's great to be with you, Stu. Great, great to have you here. The we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to get to your your work as a chaplain, and in particular, uh, hospice chaplaincy. And uh, how long have you been doing that? So, Stu, I've been doing that for right about a year and a half. Okay, year and a half. And uh, so we, we can talk about other ministry stuff as well. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, I always like to spend a little time talking to the guest. And uh, we do, we did know each other from a previous life. Uh, we are both Southeast Knights. We are. Go Knights. Go Knights. <laughs> the, uh, we were trying to figure out some of the ways in which our paths might have crossed the most. Maybe sports? I'm thinking, yes, so. Yeah. Um, more than likely. Yes. Uh, and I know you're a few grades ahead of me, but uh, more than likely, that's where it happened. Yes. I had a couple of, uh, uh, well, and I, I played as much football as I could until my, my health didn't cooperate anymore. But uh, I must admit, now I was there for the uh, last year, my junior year. So just before you got there, uh, Coach Solich was still there. And so I got to try to play for him. Notice emphasis on the word try uh, for one season. So I will give you my uh, notice on try with Coach Solich. I was in the ninth grade Uh and I was playing tight end. And Uh I tried to catch a pass, (laughs) landed on the on the ground, the ball in between the ground and my stomach, and I said, Oof. and he must have saw that. And the next day at practice, I became an offensive tackle <laughs> and played there, offense and defensive tackle, for the rest of my football career. Now you now you have the frame for that, but you're you're not you needed to be huskier back then. Uh, how much? What did you weigh in high school? So. Uh, believe it or not, Stu, I weighed um, about 220. Uh, really? About what I weigh right now. But I did play in college. Played mm-hmm. for, at that time, good old Kearney State. Uh-huh. And uh, I put on about 30 or 40 more pounds to play for Kearney State. See, now that's called beef because uh, Mark is a little bit taller than me. But but I, uh, in, in high school, I was trying to crack 200 and I wasn't doing it the right way, so I was just I was just eating food and getting chunky instead of getting stronger. And I realized that is not the way to uh, that was the improper way to to gain weight. Uh, but you did it the hopefully the right way. <laughs> well, I did try to put on some muscle uh, yeah. during high school and obviously college, and yeah. uh, 
But uh, as you know, now the trick is trying to keep uh, keep a decent weight this well, this season of our life. You are winning. You're do, you're doing great. You look very fit and trim. What do you what do you do to what do you like? What's your preferred mo- mode of exercise now? Um, I exercise a lot at home. Try to do a lot of core and chest mm-hmm. uh, exercises. Yep, yep. Well, it's working. So I can I could take a few lessons from you there. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as before we get into some of the pastoral ministry you've been involved in, and in particular then the uh, the hospice work, um, when I've been having pastors on lately, uh, I've been having them just share how they came to know Christ. And one of the things that there there are ways in which everybody's story is different uh, because God you know works in our lives in a different way, and yet there's a way in which every story is the same. At, at some point, somebody woke up and said, "Hey, I." I'm a sinner who needs a savior, and I think Jesus is the one who can do that. Uh, well, how did yes. your how did your story unfold? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a longer story, um, maybe not so traditional. When I was in high school, I went out to a FCA event in Estes Park, Colorado, and uh, had a wonderful time out there. But I remember one of the evenings we were inside a building. It was storming out, and the speaker was talking. And uh, he was giving the gospel message. And Stu, I responded to that message. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, on the way home, I just, I, I felt different inside, that mm-hmm. there was a change inside. Um, but I am a, um, or certainly was at that time, pretty shy individual and mm-hmm. got back home. And, and sooner or later, things just kind of started going back to quote unquote normal, just mm-hmm living life normally like I did. And I did that for about 15 years. Mm. And then uh, I was invited out to a Promise Keeper event in Colorado and went out there. And I distinctly remember that. It was June 17th, and I was listening to Pastor Greg Glory preach a message. And obviously he was preaching the gospel, and everything in my heart was telling me, I need to go, and I need to respond to that message. Mm. And I did, and I came back a changed man from that from that event. My wife tells a wonderful story of when I came home and just the, the change she saw in my continence. And uh, praise the Lord that just uh, not only was it in my continence, but it was mm-hmm. in my very being. And from there, shortly after there, I uh, started taking steps to become uh, involved in full-time ministry. Wow, wow. Now, was that uh, Boulder or Denver? Uh, that was in Denver, Mile okay. High Stadium. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I, I may have been at that one. The yeah. uh, there uh, Years ago, um, a mentor of mine, who now is with the Lord, but uh, he went to, I think, the very first Promise Keeper meeting in Boulder and came back and told me about it. And he's, he's not a very expressive guy. He's pretty pretty reserved. But uh, he he said is one of the best things I've ever been to. He says if you get a chance, you need to go to this. And so I said, well, okay, it's pretty tough to say no to that. And so we were, um, uh, yeah, we were in Boulder, uh, and uh, it was the first time they packed out a stadium, and mm-hmm. it was it was a life changing event. Um, that, by the way, not that I, it's your story today, but there is one story I did want to attach to that because. So this was the second meeting, and uh, and the singing would echo all through Boulder. 
And one of the stories we had heard from the first year that now relayed to us in the second year was that there were people in the hospital who were dying and mm-hmm. who were wishing that they could have a kind of a sign from God that he cared, that, he, that was there. And they opened up the windows and they heard the voice of men singing to Christ, echoing into their rooms. And for them, that was God's answer to prayer. Amen. Isn't that Amen. something? That is, that is something. I, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I do remember a couple events in specific listening to the thousands of men gathered. Um, I certainly remember out in Denver. I also remember going to another Promise Keepers event in Omaha and uh, the same type of situation, just hearing men singing, praising the Lord. Uh, there is, that is a beautiful sound that yeah. uh, certainly touches my heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and you never know the, the, the things that they, that wasn't their intention, but that was God's intention. And he works that way quite a bit. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you started pursuing the uh, pastoral ministry, what were what were some of the first directions you uh, you went? So I, first of all, we, because of Promise Keepers, and interestingly enough, because of the music, I came back to Lincoln and I uh, spoke with my wife and we talked a little bit. And I said, you know, I to find a place where we can go to experience that type of worship style. Mm -hmm. So we actually ended up going to a church up in Omaha for a couple of years, Uh, drove back and forth from Lincoln, and we really, really got grounded in the faith, both of us um, Mm. up there. And uh, after a time, after a couple of years, came back to Lincoln. But even up in Omaha, just felt a calling on my heart, into full-time ministry, just mm-hmm. the beginnings of that. Yeah. So that, that started that um, through a, a series of events, uh, really a lot of events, just really felt that continual pull on my heart as to, uh, to respond to that call. And I remember vividly one Sunday sitting in church and the pastor ended the message, ended the service by praying, and in that closing prayer said, Lord, I pray that you will raise up full-time vocational ministers. And Stu, I sat there in my chair listening to that, and it really was as if God was speaking to my heart and knowing that 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 prayer was, was for at least me if there weren't others in that room that day. Mm-hmm. And so I just began the steps of what I needed to do. Uh, talked with um, a good friend about it. Um, used to be a pastor at that church, um, well-known around the community right now, Tom Barber. And uh, he just kind of helped me uh, put that formation of what that looks like to take mm-hmm. the steps to become a, become a pastor. So I did that. Uh, that's awesome. We're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, uh, I will talk about the, the call to this particular work that you're involved in now, which, uh, again, as a uh, there, as a pastor, when I when I hear people do the work that you do, it's it's almost like there's the army, and then there's the marines, and I feel like you're you're part of that that spiritual marine corps that's right there on the front lines, and so I really am interested to. 
to not only learn more myself, but have the audience learn about uh, about this ministry. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, let's do it. Uh, take a little break here. You're listening to Friendly Fire on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, talking with uh, uh, Mark Borkhart. He's uh, a pastor and uh, worked in some other pastoral uh, areas, but in particular, uh, we're going to talk about this work as a hospice chaplain. And uh, before I get to that, um, you were talking about how somebody came up to you and said, "Hey, you know, this is this is what it might look like to get involved in ministry." One of the I remember a couple of people who came up to me and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about this?" and and it, it really made me think, do I do that? Do I look for people and then say, wait, have you thought about ministry the way that somebody did for me? And I don't know if that's ever been a part of your mindset is to kind of have your eyes open and say, okay, who's out there that Tom helped me and others kind of helped point me in this direction? Who Who is God calling me to kind of maybe uh, uh, think about this? Yeah, that is a uh, that's a great question. Uh, I've certainly done that from time to time. I can't say that it's always on my radar, radar all the time, um, Pastor Stu, but I, I do. I remember uh, doing that a few times. Uh, I used to pastor out in Gothenburg and uh, looking for emerging leaders at that time and mm-hmm. uh, taking them along to various events and just yeah. exposing them to, this is this is a taste of what ministry looks like. Yeah, yeah. There, I, it was very convicting to me when I thought about that. I just, I need to do that more often. And even, and even younger, some guys were saying, you know, uh, have you looked, have you met with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and said, Hey, you know, you might have some abilities and I'm not sure I, uh, it surprised me that I, that I didn't think more about that, but there's a lot of possibilities out there. So, so recently then you got involved in, uh, uh, well, how did how did you begin to get drawn into chaplain ministry in general? Then we'll talk about the specifics of of a hospice hospice chaplaincy. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you know, Stu, we're all gifted in various areas. And when I was pastoring out in Gothenburg, I loved uh, a lot of things about pastoring. You know, I loved preaching. I loved teaching. I loved going and doing uh, Bible studies. Um, I liked going to uh, facilities, especially assisted living facilities, leading Bible studies there. Um, just everything, you know, funerals, weddings, everything that encompassed pastoring, pastoral ministry, I enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that I loved, that I just absolutely loved, was being in crisis situations, mm. life or death situations, mm. um, uh, and a variety of other situations where... Um, where life was on the line, and I found I found myself drawn to that, not necessarily because I enjoyed it, but because I, I really sensed the Lord working through me, mm. God's Spirit moving through me, and really directing not only what I said and did, but just, just, directing the event that particular event, and I, I just really, really enjoyed that. So that was back, um, you know, as I was pastoring in Gothenburg, and I, I really believe that that the Lord was refining that that gift that particular time. Um, 
then after leaving Gothenburg, and that was that was a whole story in itself, uh, Stu, just a minute. That was leaving Gothenburg and leaving that church uh, to date has been uh, the hardest thing I have done in my life. Mm. I love the church. Uh, the church loved us, loved my family. I just knew it was um, was time for a change for the church, and that meant us. Mm. And so we came back to Lincoln, and, uh, you know, as most people would think, uh, I certainly thought, well, Lord, if you close that door, you'll open up another door. Mm. And um, that didn't happen right away. I um, had the opportunity to sell cars at Honda of Lincoln for right around four years mm-hmm. and really enjoyed that. A lot of great people down there. And I guess this is just a plug for yeah. <laughs> Honda of Lincoln, isn't it? Yeah. But a lot of great people down there. Yeah. I enjoyed my time down there. But even in that, I really believe the Lord was using me. At, at a certain point in time, this position came open. And um, I remember as I was looking down the qualifications and things that you do on a daily basis, I thought, wow, this is me. This fits me. And I have to say that I feel fulfilled every day. This is a fulfilling experience for me. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing we have in common is the car business. So my my dad, we didn't sell new cars, uh, but... uh, uh, but that uh, experience uh, dealing with people and, and the, you know, if you like the product, the product kind of sells itself. Yes. And, uh, so uh, we, dad tried to have only decent cars on the lot. And of course, if you've ever driven a Honda, you know that that's a quality product. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's very interesting. Uh, so the, uh, we'll start talking about the chaplaincy, then we'll take a little break and we'll come back to it. But the idea, let's, let's just talk about chaplaincy in general. Uh, you get a very brief, quick window into people's uh, stories. And uh, and so as you're, I know even just as a garden variety pastor here, I go into the hospital, you, know, you kind of have a way that you, uh, you know, kind of prep yourself as you're entering into that room. Uh, what are some of the unique uh, challenges just of, of chaplaincy in general as you're, as you're walking into a room where, well, it's a hospital, so more often than not, it's, it's, it's it's something fairly challenging. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it could be, and Stu, as far as um, my ministry goes, it could be in a hospital. It could be in a nursing home. could be assisted living. could be a home. Anywhere where an individual calls home, that's where we go. And that's where we serve them, serve those people. Um, let, me, uh, let me just um, say this, and actually, if you don't mind, I'm just going to I'm just going to read this because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. had a few things written written down. So, as you know, there are different types of chaplains, hospital, armed services, rest homes, to name a few. Obviously, I'm in the role of a hospice chaplain. Before I address the unique calling of a hospice, hospice chaplain, let me try to clear up one common misnomer about hospice. I think most people believe hospice indicates someone who has days, maybe weeks to two before they pass. Hospice services can actually start up to six months prior to death and can even extend from there depending on circumstances. So to address your question, the unique call of hospice chaplain requires the gifting to work consistently in life or death situations. Talking about death has to be something a hospice chaplain is comfortable and confident in doing. 
As part of a hospice team, a chaplain can help the individual and family members prepare for the inevitable. Now, the reason I wanted to address the length of time is because the time a chaplain has to spend with an individual and a family can have a profound impact on an individual having a quote-unquote good death experience and the family members getting to a place where they can say in their soul, it is well with my, saying in their heart, it is well with my soul. Mm-hmm. And it just, it takes a little bit of time to do that, um, but it's rewarding being able to connect with people that are going through an experience that as a, as a nation we, we just kind of uh, step away from. But it's an important place to be. Yeah, yeah. I want to uh, take another break, and I want to pick up on that thought because I think we're uh, one of the reasons your job is so crucial is because I I do think as a culture we're we're not very comfortable with this and we don't do well with it, and so it takes a brave soul to kind of crack <laughs> crack the uh, the door open and say hey I'm 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 ready to talk if you are, and uh, so I, I'd like to I'd like to uh, explore that a little bit more. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do that. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with uh, Mark Borkart. He's uh, a chaplain here uh, for the St. Croix Hospice and uh, been a pastor for a long time. And so we want to find out more about that work. Uh, It's a challenging work. It's great work. Uh, Glad you're listening. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday here on 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with uh, Pastor Mark Borkhart. He's uh, a, ch- a chaplain here at the St. Croix Hospice and uh, has worked as a pastor and a, as well. But, um, but in particular, we, we, before the break, we were talking about the fact that we uh, my experience is, and, and I'm guessing, uh, uh, find out if it's your ex- experience too, but we as a culture are not very good at talking about death or dealing with grief. Uh, and, and of course, that's the primary area you're going to, you're dealing with all the time. Uh, how would, what's your experience of that? Yes, I would, I would totally agree with that, Stu. As a culture, I believe that we are just a death denying culture or nation, however you want to describe that. We don't talk about death. And and really, it's it's too bad because it happens every day. You know, not to sound morbid, but at the beginning of the show, you're talking with people and, you know, explaining or encouraging what they can do today. But uh, the fact is, today, on Saturday, there are going to be a number of people here in Lincoln, Nebraska that are going to pass away. Yeah. They're going to die. Yeah. Um, but we don't talk about that. And in particular, or more specific, if I can say... Um, as a, as a group, as a family, uh, culture, we don't, we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. And it, it leads to some very, um, hard times at end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, on the reverse side, let me give you, let me give you a what if scenario. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, let's say, what if, what if a guy in his fifties just sitting down with his family, just at a maybe at a function, maybe just sitting down, just began to talk about death, how he views death, what he'd like to have see happen at uh, at his at his funeral, or you know how he thinks things are going to go, just whatever it is, just talking about death. To me, that would be 
that would be so encouraging when the time comes. Because as both you and I know, um, that time is going to come. You know, barring the rapture, every one of us are going to die. We're all going to walk through that process. Wouldn't it be nice to have already started that tough conversation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, you know, many, uh, many times, especially in an individual with a terminal illness, they know they're dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a number of months before, but they know they're dying. But because of the nation or the culture that we live in, they have a tough time talking with anyone about that. Mm-hmm. Just think again uh, for a moment if if we could open up that door and that individual could talk. Yeah. And I think about relationships, Stu. What, what would happen if a father got to say to his son for perhaps the first time, son, I love you. Mm-hmm. Think, if, think of the issues of forgiveness that could be displayed or taken care of instead of someone passing and the person that remains alive wondering what if or having to carry guilt the rest of their life. There are just so many positive situations that can come about by just talking about death. And it, it doesn't have to be an awkward conversation. As a matter of fact, I think the more we can do it, the more we get confident in it, confident in it, you know, I certainly in the position I am in the role I, I am in, it's, I'm comfortable talking with people and ask people what their thoughts are. And, but you know, by that time, you know, at most they've, they have a number of months left to, you know, anywhere down from there, mm-hmm. but they talk about it. Because it's right there. It's at the forefront yeah. of their minds. Yeah. So that's I've wondered, you know, a lot of times again, and I don't see the terminal cases in the way that you do, but but oftentimes that person laying on that bed, if they know that this I'm I'm probably not gonna get out of this place or whatever it is, the, the end is soon, that they're the only one and they actually are waiting for someone to open the door to talk about that. Not everyone. Some people don't, you know, to the very end they don't want to talk about it. But in my experience, more often than not it's the people visiting who don't want to talk about it and the person who's laying there who can't help but think about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that ring sort of true in your experience? I would say so. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say definitely all the time, but yeah. I would say a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot of the time that person wants to talk, uh, and they probably wanted to talk, um, long before that too, mm-hmm. but finding someone that will listen and someone that will have the care and empathy to mm-hmm. to just discuss whatever's on their hearts yeah. and the main issue being the main issue i'm i'm going to die and what's what does that look like yeah. um what it's going to feel like uh what are is my family going to be okay just all the issues that they're rolling around in their mind just the opportunity to express and talk about that life review just you know how did i live my life and there's so many things that they want to talk about, and all it all it takes is someone to say, "I'm here to listen." Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are, are there any? Uh, and again, I'm I'm not looking for magic tips or anything, but as you 
as you're trying to kind of prop that door open and see if they want to walk through it, are there any things that you try to, in terms of how you approach it or your demeanor or the kind of questions you ask or how you, how you just walk up to that person, any, anything that kind of guides your thinking as you're trying to, to kind of op- crack that door open and see if they want to walk through? Yeah, I, I generally start a conversation with a patient by saying that, uh, obviously introducing myself, explaining my role on the team, and then making a simple statement like this, you know, I am here to support you emotionally and spiritually. Um, recognizing the fact that we have a great medical team that's going to take care of them medically and, and uh, uh, social worker that's going to take care of all their needs uh, from a different aspect. But uh, just let them know that I'm here to help them emotionally and spiritually. And then, Stu, I, right about that time, I don't say a whole lot, and I listen for their response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I More than times than not, people are just looking for an open door. As you had mentioned just, uh, just moments before, that they're – they're wanting someone to talk to mm-hmm. and just giving them that opportunity just to begin that conversation to say, I'm someone that wants to hear your story and then allowing them, whether it's that time or whether it's later on, but they know that, that I'm someone that they can open up to and talk. Mm-hmm. And that that's really a game changer knowing that there's someone that won't try to, um, try to force their agenda. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, someone coming to show, show them a bunch of pictures and you know, just Mm -hmm. rah, rah. And it's a great day. And this person's in bed and he's, you know, short, short days away from life. They want to talk about death. Being that person that just says, I'm here, I'm available. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take one, uh, one last break and we'll come back for our last section. And, uh, uh, I just have, I find this stuff fascinating because I think we, and I wouldn't even mind circling back around to why we're a culture that doesn't know how to deal with grief or or even uh, in my experience, too, we think, well, you know, it's been a week. You should be over this now. You know, well, it's been a month. You surely ought to be over it by now. And, uh, and I, th- I think of all the things that we're good at as Americans, I think grieving is, is one of the worst. Uh, we're yes. just we uh, and and the biggest factor being because we we think you just ought to intellectually kind of get some facts straight in your mind and then you just move on. And, uh, in my experience, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, it does not. It does not. It does not. One last break. We'll come back, uh, talking with pastor Mark Borkhart and, and he is uh, a chaplain here with a uh, St. Croix hospice. And, uh, uh, again, I hope you find this interesting as well. Uh, folks, if you're listening today and you, you know, there may be some people in your life, you need to have some talks with them. You need to make sure that you've said, I love you. You've made your plans. And, uh, and you need to, uh, these are all the kinds of things that we all have to be, uh, be thinking about. And, uh, so I, I hope that, uh, God uses it in a good way in your life. It's a friendly fire Saturday here on 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Pastor Mark Borkhart. 
And uh, before we go on, we are going to talk about, I want to talk about grief in this culture a bit, but uh, Pastor Mark, it is the time of the program when we always do a shameless plug. So I say to you, plug away. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, Pastor Stu. Appreciate that. Yes, as you mentioned uh, more than once, I do work for a company by the name of St. Croix Hospice. Um, I think it's a great organization. It's a regional organization that was uh, started up in Minnesota and through several states in the Midwest. Uh, Here in Lincoln, uh, we provide uh, care to, hospice care to really uh, wherever that individual lives. Could be in, uh, wherever that individual uh, calls home. You know, could be last days in the hospital, could be in a rest home, could be in assisted living, could be at home. and we do a lot of, I think we offer a lot of great services. Obviously, we're talking about chaplain ministry. Uh, again, I mentioned uh, a great care team, medical care team. Uh, we also offer um, massage therapy as well as music therapy. So we really try to connect with the individual on a holistic basis, uh, really to the, the fullest of that term, and uh, just meet people where they're at and help them walk through that process. So St. Croix Hospice, we are here to care for patients and their families. Yeah. What's the website there? Uh, yeah. Website is St. Dot com. All right. So we can check that out. Um, I do not have a shameless plug this week, except to say, as I always do, uh, to uh, find a, if you want to find some people who will talk about life and death, the other place to go is your local church. Find a church that will teach you the Bible and point you to Jesus, and this community is filled with them. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, so that's my uh, short, very short, shameless plug for the week. Uh, let's circle back to this question of grief. Um, even if you if you read the Bible again, there uh, in in ancient times, you know there there you know, it's thirty days, it's sixty days, it's whatever. It's a, a very long period of time where people grieve, and 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 in many parts of the world, it's still that way. Mm-hmm. But um, and again, I'm not blaming anybody in this in the system. Uh, I, I I think again, in my experience here locally, the funeral homes do a, a lovely job. They 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 do their job well. No, I'm not I'm not trying to pick on anybody except to just say that as Americans it it feels very much to me like we have a okay fine get over it kind of a attitude and and then that and when you don't deal with grief then grief becomes delayed and it mm-hmm. has other impacts in your life uh you're dealing with this in the front lines every day how how what's your assessment of how we deal with grief Yes, uh, that's uh, some good assessments you just said, Pastor Stu. Um, you know, even in our culture, especially in uh, smaller communities, it used to be that uh, after a person passed, uh, their body would lay in state in the house for a day or two or three, and visitors would come and um, pay their last respects, and and we've moved on uh, to something uh, to something different. And like like you said, I'm not saying anything. Um, bad about that. It's just a, a culture sh- cultural shift that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as specific to grief, grief is different for everyone. You know, we all we all experience it to one degree or another. Um, I heard a statement in a movie oh just a number of months ago, and I thought it was a fantastic statement. Uh, the individual said this. They said, "Grief is love." Grief is love with no place to go. 
And so I, I'm, and I really believe that in my heart. And I think the closer we're connected to an individual, the more we grieve their loss. And the question is, what do we do with that grief, or how do we, how do we handle that? And I believe there's a number of factors. First of all, just to acknowledge that individually, just to acknowledge that we're going through grief, and then expressing that. And that could be done in a number of ways, but primarily it's either talking with someone else, or I always like to encourage people to write it down. Mm. Um, at least for me, uh, Stu, I'm a writer. I like to write things out, type things out, and I find that I can really write out my emotions. Mm. I can feel this, and I can feel that, and I can put that down onto words pretty well. And it helps me through that process of working through grief. Mm-hmm. You know, again, everybody's different, um, and uh, probably everyone is different even depending on the relationship that they had. So it's important to to know that some things that we shouldn't do. Um, you know, people say a lot of things to someone that's grieving and they have great intentions, mm. but the words just don't they just don't fit. Yeah. You know, they again they're said in a right manner, they're said with a good heart, but they don't fit what's going on with that individual. So I think words just to let, just to ask people, how are you doing? Um, can I help in any way? Um, I'm here just to listen. Uh, things that affirm that the person is going through grief uh, is a good thing, as opposed to statements like, um, well, it's been X amount of months, or, well, um, you know, he was... He's in a better place now, yeah. or she is doing much better now. It, those words, again, they're meant with good intention, but they're not, they're not helping. Yeah. That person is grieving. They're not here any longer. That, that place in the heart uh, is hurting, and yeah. they need to work that through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's funny. I, when I go into the hospital, I think one of the conscious uh, thoughts in my mind is, is it's better to be quiet than to just say something super awkward or what turns out to be inappropriate. And uh, so what I heard you say, too, is a lot of times you're, you're offering help or you're asking questions uh, as opposed to trying to find that magical thing to say that will somehow make them feel better. Yeah, I think just a, a word or two of affirmation and then silence to me, I think silence in that particular situation, whether it's talking with someone that's grieving or talking with someone that's in the last um, last days before their life, just giving uh, them the opportunity to lead. And again, people can come into a situation with the best intentions, uh, wanting to do this or wanting to do that, to cheer up an individual, but really silence is the best thing. Yeah just to let that individual express what they want to express. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think also as Christians, we, again, we believe that uh, uh, through faith in Christ, they're going to be with Christ upon their death. And again, it's a tremendous comfort, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make me, you know, but they're still gone. And there's, and I, so I like the way that you phrased it here. It's like they're, that that grief is still real because they're not here. I can't hug them. I can't talk to them. And, uh, and, and again, 
that that hope that I will see them again is 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 wonderful. It kind of keeps you going, but it doesn't take away the, all the pain. Right. Well, as you know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, "Brothers, uh, we do not grieve as the rest of men who have no hope." Mm-hmm. He didn't say we don't grieve at all. Yes. He said we grieve. We still grieve, and it's important to acknowledge that grief. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, my dad, uh, uh, well, he, he died in 87, I was 25, and uh, and then a lot of times people will say, you know, when did you get over that? You know, when did you kind of feel like, and I hate to break it to him, but it's like, well, I mean, you know, I don't have an acute sense of pain for it every day, but you never really get over it. Uh, you know what I mean? Yep, I do. I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, um I lost my dad uh, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, which, interesting, is an, another statement that people say um, with good intentions, I know how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know how you felt, but you yeah. don't know the exact feelings that that person has. Yeah, yeah. So. Yes. And and so I, yeah, it's, uh, I remember in the book of Job, his friends were doing really, really well while they just sat with him in silence and then they opened their mouths and things didn't go so well. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh boy. Lord Jesus, help me to help me to just listen when I need to listen and, and speak when the time is right. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Amen. Well, we're just about out of time here. Uh, just uh, thanks, Mark, for coming in today. I appreciate it so much. Well, thank you, Pastor Stu. It has been a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to learn more about uh, St. Croix Hospice, just stcroyhospice.com, uh, St. Uh, St. Uh, Croyhospice.com. Uh, great to have you along. Great to have Mark with me today. Pastor Mark, uh, I leave him saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next week.